This audio is brought to you by muslimcentral.com. Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Welcome back brothers and sisters. Alhamdulillah wa salatu wa salam ala rasulillah. Today's class 6. We're still talking about the uh, all the different issues about salat and prayer. And today inshallah we're going to spend the first 20 minutes or so to talk to you about a special characteristic that you can do in your salat and that is called the jama' and qasr. Today we're going to talking about when can you join your prayers and when can you shorten them. Joining prayers and shortening the prayers inshallah ta'ala or should I say salat because we agreed we're not going to say prayer we're going to say salat because salat is different meaning than prayer. So Alhamdulillah, so far we've talked a lot about salat, why we pray, the pillars of prayer, what do you do when you make mistakes and so on. Today, I will start by explaining what shortening the prayer means and then what joining the prayer means, the salat. And then we're going to talk about the different times, the different situations that you are allowed to do this. And the different situations where you're only allowed to join but not shorten. I'm going to reference to just briefly every time to what the opinions of the different schools of thought say about each one of them. Just to respect different communities who do follow a particular school of thought. And just for your own knowledge and to... I usually look at what the majority conclusion is among the jurists but nevertheless I'll just show you just in case you do meet other communities who follow a school of thought not to get a shock and just to know that there are different ways and different valid opinions in these matters they are allowed in these matters because they are not the pillars of Islam they're branches of Islam we're going to talk about different situations and inshallah, we'll leave it for questions and answers in the end. Deal? I won't lecture you too long. So first of all, let's go through the definitions and descriptions. A very quick definition description. Brothers and sisters, it is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's mercy and kindness upon us that when He made salat compulsory, acts of worship, He also knows that there are situations in our lives where things become hard. Worship can be difficult. Worship can be strenuous. And so that we can keep loving worship and not finding it a bother or not feeling uneasy about it, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made situations and avenues for us to make it easier so that we can continue. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, doesn't want quantity. Uh, it doesn't want quantity. He wants quality from us. He wants us to love what we are doing. And the only thing why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made salat you know, certain things compulsory is because they are the most beloved things to him, meaning they are the things that make you closer to him the most. And when Allah makes something compulsory and you and I, we neglect it, we stay away from it, the question arises, why are you neglecting it? Why are you neglecting something that you know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves it the most to the point that he has made it compulsory upon you? The question is not why Allah made it compulsory now. The question is, why are you neglecting it? Like, what is the issue? What's going on? And that is why the sin of abandoning or staying away from something compulsory is so huge to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's a major sin. Because the question now is, why? What's, what's in your mind and in your heart that you neglect the salat? Why? That's the question. It's not about why didn't you pray four, four rak'ahs or two rak'ahs or whatever. Allah is asking what is making you stay away from Salat? And that is why Allah says in the Quran, in Surah Al-Ma'un, فَوَيْلٌ لِلْمُصَلِّينَ الَّذِينَ هُمْ عَنْ صَلَاتِهِمْ سَاهُونَ Wail is like saying hellfire. Or a, or a, it's a, it's a, it's like saying what a, there is a terrible consequence. For the ones who pray, but they are neglectful of their prayer. People who believe in prayer, salat, you're a Muslim, but you're neglectful of it. 
you skip your salat, you pray once a week, sometimes you skip even that, one off, another three on, then two off, and another five off, and then sometimes pray without the conditions and whatever. Wail means something's going on in your iman, something's going on in your life for the reason that's causing you to stay away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in salat. So this is a huge deal. But Allah makes it easy in situations. Joining and shortening. What is shortening and what is joining? Shortening, pay attention now, shortening is when you don't have to pray a particular salat fully. You can make it shorter. It is only when a four rak'ah salat turns into a two rak'ah salat. Four rak'ah turns into two rak'ahs. What about the two rak'ah salat like fajr? Can we shorten that? The answer is no, because it's not a four rak'ah salat. The two stays two, and the maghrib, which is three, the three stays three. I repeat, shortening the salat is any salat that is four, compulsory salat four, turns into two. As for the maghrib, which is three, it stays three, and the fajr, which is two, remains two. You can't shorten them. Is that part understood? Four equals two, three stays three, two stays two. So what is joining then? Joining is when you're allowed to pray two salats that are supposed to be in two different times, you pray them in the same time. Again, joining the salat is when there are two compulsory salats that are meant to be in two different times and you are allowed to pray them at one time. And the only salats that you can join, only salats you can join are the dhuhr and the asr together in one time and the maghrib and the isha together in one time. Therefore, you cannot join fajr with any salat and you cannot join asr with maghrib. Which are the only two salats you can't join? the Asr and Maghrib, and the Fajr with any Salat. Is that clear? So keep in your mind, the only two Salats that you can join are the Dhuhr and Asr and the Maghrib and Aisha. There are two ways you can join them, either earlier or later. Earlier means you pray the two Salats at the time of the earlier Salat. Example, Dhuhr and Asr. Which one is earlier? Dhuhr. So praying, joining them earlier means as soon as Dhuhr comes, you can pray your Dhuhr and also pray your Asr. And you don't have to pray it again. That's early joining. Another example is Maghrib and Aisha. When Maghrib arrives, you pray your Maghrib and then you pray your Aisha at that time and you don't have to pray Aisha again. That's early joining. The other one is delayed joining or later joining. And that's the opposite. Dhuhr and Asr, you don't pray at Dhuhr time, you just don't do anything until Asr comes. At Asr time, you pray your Dhuhr first, then your Asr and that's it. Another example, Maghrib and Aisha, we're going to delay it, delay the joining. You don't pray at Maghrib, you wait till Aisha, then you pray the Maghrib, then the Aisha. What's the first thing you realized I said here with the delayed one? Did you realize I kept them in order? Did you realize I kept them in order? I said, Dhuhr, you can pray at Asr time. But you don't pray Asr first, you pray Dhuhr first, then Asr. Maghrib, you wait till Aisha, but you don't pray Aisha first, you pray Maghrib, then Aisha. Why? The Salats must be kept in order as Allah has kept them in order. And as the Prophet ﷺ kept them in order. Always in order. You got it? So now we've defined 
very briefly what shortening the salat is and what joining the salat is. We also talked about early joining and later joining. We talked about which salats you can join, which ones you can't. We talked about which ones you can shorten and which ones you can't. Is that clear up to now? Are we done with the definition and description? Good. Now let's move on to the second part, number two of this topic. What are the reasons that you are allowed to use in order to join or shorten the Salat? All good? Everybody understand that question? In what cases, what reasons are you allowed to join these Salats and shorten them? There are eight, eight reasons that you can join the Salats, but only one reason that you can shorten them. How many reasons for joining? Eight. How many reasons for shortening? One. Let's go through them. Reason number one is the only reason that you can do both. Join and shorten. Anyone know what it is? Travel. Traveling. In Arabic, is called safar. We're going to talk about that extensively. But let me go through the eight. Secondly, the second reason... Now, from here onwards, you cannot shorten. You can only join. Second reason for joining. In sickness, if you are reasonably sick, you're reasonably sick. As an example the scholars talked about is like the flu. The flu is not easy. And let's say severe headache. I remember when we got the coronavirus, the COVID, when I had the Delta, I couldn't stand up from the headache. So headaches are also there, but severe headaches. So reasonable sickness that makes you sick. That when you have a sickness or you are in really old age and your body has lots of weaknesses due to old age. Do you know what I'm talking about? This is called al-haram in Arabic which means ex extreme old age, where your body is weakened due to, due to de degeneration, deterioration of your limbs and organs due to old age. These two types of people, people who are sick, ill, and the people who are um, weakened body due to old age, they have the option of joining their salat to make it easier on them. You got it? Number three during the times, I want you to listen to this carefully, during the times of heavy rain and strong winds. I'll repeat it. During the time of heavy rain and strong winds. What did you realize I said here? What did I say? Heavy what? <laughs> and wind. Some people think it's only in heavy rain. It has to be heavy rain and strong wind. Why am I saying this? Because that's exactly how the Prophet ﷺ said it. And he did not separate the two. Okay? Because heavy rain and, and strong wind is a difficulty on people to go. You can easily get sick. You can easily, you know, get... It, it can harm you. Even if the harm is small, it doesn't matter. But it is difficult on people. Allah doesn't want us to look at worship as a burden so you can join the salat number four when you are unable to have access to water for cleansing yourself let's say and this usually happens for people who are on usually on travel anyway or in certain parts of the world some countries that are experiencing drought or scarcity in water at places of poverty they, they'll fit in that category as for us here in Australia we don't need to worry about that but if there's scarcity of water, then you can join your salat if you fear that you're not going to be able to make wudu again or the water is scarce or there is a drought or let's say um, you know, you're unable to cleanse yourself each time because of the scarcity of water. So you can join your salat to minimize using water. Number five, 
This is something special for people who have these conditions. So the first one is for women. Only women have this. And that is called abnormal uterine bleeding. In Arabic, in the Sharia, it's called istihada. Um, abdom uh, abnormal um, uh, uterine bleeding. What is it? It usually happens in certain cases. So a woman naturally, and we are all mature here to talk about it, brothers and sisters, women naturally have menstrual cycles, period. And they also, after giving birth, for those of you who don't know, we've got young kids here, it's okay, you can learn about this. When they give birth, they have something called postnatal bleeding. Alright? So, sometimes, after it's all finished, it's ended for her, she finds herself still bleeding. That's no longer menstrual blood, nor is it postnatal bleeding. This is, this is really important for our sisters, they want to know. That blood is abnormal uterine bleeding and there are we, we don't know the main causes of it but the prophet ﷺ talked about it and he said it is a blood vessel it's a blood vessel it's not from the uterus itself so when, when a woman goes through a menstrual cycle that blood is unwanted blood harmful blood to the body that has accumulated in the uterus and it is used that that blood goes to the uterus so that if the woman gets pregnant that blood turns into the nutrients and the environment that helps the baby grow. So if she's not pregnant, the body gets rid of that blood. It's not needed and it becomes toxic to the body. So it cleanses her. And this, this is a mercy from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it shows you that, you know, how Allah subhanahu wa looks after um, the woman and how we should respect that. So if she gets abnormal bleeding, then she can join her salat as well to make life easy on her. And the second one is for men or women. And is a, it's, it's like um, urinary incontinence. You know, um, uh, enoresis or enoresis. It's, it's a medical term for people who have um, an, uh, a consistent inability to hold, you know, urine. So sometimes they have this problem a, a little bit. In Arabic, it's salas al-bawl. So these, there are people who have that condition, and they're allowed, they have the option to join their prayers to make life easy on them too. All right? Now, number six, who is able to join their salat? This is also rare. For people who have the inability to calculate time, sometimes they have a mental disability, some people have Alzheimer's, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us. Some people have amnesia. Some people may be going through severe case of diabetes. Uh, some people go through cases of high blood sugar, low blood sugar. In that case, sometimes you get dizzy. Sometimes there's medication you're taking where you do lose a little bit of, uh, you know, sort of uh, the ability to tell time. So these types of people, if they're in that state, usually in this rare state, they can join their salat um, out of mercy from Allah. Number seven, fear of losing something. That's a bit ambiguous, but it doesn't matter. Let's say you're in a situation where you can't leave your position to go and make wudu and pray. Or, you, you know, you, you can't leave that spot. You're guarding your car, you're guarding your house, you're guarding your property, um, you're standing guard, um, whatever you're doing, right? Any situation where you say, I can't leave right now. You're minding kids, for example. There are a hundred different reasons in our life where people cannot leave where they, where they are to go and make wudu and salat. These types of people are allowed to make the intention to join their salat. So I'll give you an example. Um, I had a call from a sister who is a paramedic. And subhanAllah, she converted to Islam on her job, believe it or not. True story, here in Australia, in Melbourne. And she said, brother, I, I have to work for, for my living and this is my job as a paramedic. And often there's blood on the floor. I've got patients with me. We're waiting near the ambulance. We're waiting until we can let them, you know, um, uh, admit them as patients. Sometimes I can't. I miss out on my dhuhr. Sometimes I miss out on my... She had other, like even asr sometimes. So we, we gave her that option. Islam allows it. She can't leave that patient alone. <laughs> 
and go and do a salat and allow the patient to die, for example, Allah. So we say no. She's allowed to make the intention to join her salat. Even, even with asr for her, she can do what we call qada. So, because she has a good reason. But to join him, you can join him. And the last reason, actually, yeah, so the last reason is genuinely got busy. And this is a lot of us, sometimes we get busy at work. It's normal work. You're running a business, any kind of business. You're at a shop, you're in hospitality, you're teaching, something. And you really generally got busy. You, you can't leave that responsibility. So you intend to, to join your salat. So this is the eight cases. Now there is a ninth case, which is only in the Hanbali school of thought. And they do have valid evidence that even great scholars and jurists like Ibn Taymiyyah and stuff, they agreed with this as well. So you can also use this, but use it in rare cases. In rare occasions, where you are busy, but you're not seriously busy. You're busy, but not seriously busy. Let's say, for example, every now and then, uh, you were in the garden, and you're planting, and you're watering, and then the salat's going to go, and you're really out far, or whatever. You know, you can make... Watering is a bad idea because you've got water there, don't you? But uh, that's a terrible example. I don't know. Something about you just being busy with something that's not very serious. And you take, that, take away that example. All right? And you, uh, you decide to join your salat so that you can go and wash up or whatever. And, and just to do your salat instead of dhuhr at its time with asr. But only do that in rare occasions. And the evidence for that is in Sahih Muslim. Where the Prophet ﷺ joined the dhuhr and asr without the reason of rain and wind or being on travel. And this is what Ibn Abbas, عنه, the great companion, he asked him, why did you do that, Ya Rasulullah? What is the wisdom? And he said, in order that I don't make life difficult on my ummah. So in sometimes, if you are busy, but not seriously busy, Rasulullah said, in those spare occasions, spare, so long as it's not a habit, you can do that when you're busy with something. So long as it doesn't turn into a habit. And my brothers and sisters, these are the eight plus that nine re ninth reason that you can generally join your salat. The only one that you can shorten it is which one? Who can remind me? Traveling. So now we're going to talk about traveling. That's a major one. All right, let's go. Traveling. The companions of the Prophet ﷺ used to be in groups on travel. Some of them would choose to join. Others would choose to shorten. And nobody objected to anyone else. And all of these are authentic hadiths about the companions. There's abundance of them in Bukhari, Muslim, Abu Dawood, in Tirmidhi, Nasa'i, all these main references of hadiths. The Prophet ﷺ joined, the Prophet ﷺ shortened. There are abundant hadiths. So the companions did it, some of them joined, some of them didn't. This is to show you that if we are on a group of travel and some of you want to join, others they want to shorten, it doesn't matter. You don't all have to do the same thing. Okay? Because I've been on these groups, man. Sometimes we go fishing or hunting or something like that. And the boys get together and each one wants to argue. No, you can't join. Yes, you can join. No, you shorten, not shorten. It depends on who the leader is. Look, okay, it's simple. If you want to join, join. You want to shorten, shorten. If you're going to pray together, just follow the imam. End of story. You don't want to follow the imam, go pray by yourself. The point is, there is space. Don't spend your time arguing on travel. Have a good time. So let's look at shortening. The evidence is from the Quran about shortening. If you're going to ask me, where did you get this from? I'll tell you from the Quran. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَإِذَا ضَرَبْتُمْ فِي الْأَرْضِ فَلَيْسَ عَلَيْكُمْ جُنَاحٌ أَن تَقْصُرُوا مِنَ الصَّلَاةِ The ayah is in Surah An-Nisa in chapter 4 verse 10. Allah says, there is no harm upon you that when you travel in the land on earth to shorten your salat. So it's clear, it's in the Quran, there is no objection, no difference of opinion about shortening your salat on travel by any jurist, any school of thought, nothing. They all agree on shortening on travel. Is that okay so far? Let's look at the evidence about joining. Where is my evidence? Where did you get this? Well, the evidence is from the sunnah. The sunnah means hadiths, actions of the Prophet ﷺ. And one day, inshallah, I'm going to dedicate a whole lecture 
just refuting this new group who thinks they know it all, where they've rejected sunnah and hadith on some flimsy arguments, which they have taken, and they don't realize from orientalist arguments that are really ancient and the oldest tricks in the book, to tell me there's only Quran and there's no hadith. Anyway, we're going to do that one day. But for now, I'll just tell you, the evidence for joining is in the sunnah, sunnah, the action sayings of the Prophet Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhu, he says, جَمَعَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ بَيْنَ الظُّهْرِ وَالْعَصْرِ وَالْمَغْرِبِ وَالْعِشَاءِ بِالْمَدِينَةِ مِنْ غَيْرِ خَوْفٍ وَلَا مَطَرٍ That the Prophet sallallahu joined between Dhuhr and Asr and Maghrib and Isha in Medina uh, without any rain or fear. So this shows us the Prophet used to join his salat. Uh, he also did shortening and joining when in the opening of Mecca, and sorry, in the um, when he went to <coughs> on an expedition to Mecca, another one was in Tabuk, and he stayed there for 20 nights, 20 days, and in Mecca for 19 days, he used to shorten and join. So all these are ample hadiths in uh, in all the uh, among the six books of authentic hadiths. The rulings among schools of thought: shortening. Shortening is recommended by all. Joining is allowed, but it is better if each salat was done at its time. If you're on travel, all the schools of thought, the Hanafi, Shafi'i, Maliki, Hanbali, and majority of jurists, they tell us, of course you can, you're allowed to, shorten, uh, to join your salats. But it is better, we always recommend, that if you can pray each one at its time, then do it. But great scholars like Ibn Taymiyyah and others have refuted this, and they have very strong replies, even modern day scholars, they tell us that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Allah subhanahu wa loves it when you use his concessions that he gave you, just like he hates it when you do the forbidden things. And the hadith is in Sahih Muslim. Obviously the jurists understood this, but it is their recommendation so that people don't get into the habit of abandoning salat and taking it for granted. But it is allowed, and it's probably better to join it. Now, however, if you're on travel, and there is a mosque, and there are people praying in jama'ah, it is recommended for you to go to the mosque and pray with them if you're able to. And if you pray with them, you're not allowed to shorten or join your salat. I'm oh, sorry, you're not allowed to shorten. You can join. You're not allowed to shorten that salat behind the imam. Unless the imam shortens it. Praying behind the imam that's resident. Let's say you go from here to Malaysia. You're on holiday. And there's a mosque next to the resort you're staying at. You go to the mosque. You pray behind the imam, Malaysian imam there. And he prays dhuhr four. Do you pray two or four behind him? You pray four behind him. Okay, because you follow the imam, you're not allowed to shorten. But if the imam there looks and goes, you know what, I've just traveled from, uh, uh, I don't know, Malaysian different island. Let's say I just, I just um, traveled from Penang to Kuala Lumpur and uh, I'm a traveler. And the imam says, I'm doing two. We can pray two behind him if we are travelers. But if you're not a traveler and you're praying behind an imam who is a traveler and the imam prays too, what should you do? You should stand up and continue another two. Good. All right. Now, here are the conditions. If you're going to go on a travel, the only time you can join your prayers or, or, or shorten them on a travel, the salat, there are conditions. Not all travel, you can just go ahead. So, if you're traveling for an Islamically permissible, recommended, or compulsory reason. So let's say you're traveling for Hajj, that's compulsory, you join and shorten. If you're going to Umrah, that's recommended, Sunnah, you can join and shorten. If you're going on a holiday, or for work, or anything that's allowed, permissible, you can join. The only time you cannot join and shorten is that if you go on a Haram travel, you're going to do Haram things. That is not a safar where you can join and use the concession of your worship. Allah forbids you in the first place from going on that travel. Alright, I, I don't want to give examples of what kind of haram travels there, but you know what I mean. People travel for something haram. 
Like that travel itself is based on, not if you go and there is haram there, no. Your main travel is going for that purpose, for something really haram. And that's your purpose. Then you can't just go to a mosque and say, I'm on travel, or just sit there and say, well, you person's gone to deliver drugs or something and says, I'm on travel. I love Allah. Allah loves whoever uses concessions. What about the haram you're going for? So we're not allowed to do that. Tayyip, another question. What is the distance of the travel so that you can be allowed to join or shorten? What is the distance? We said at last class, who can remember what the distance is approximately? 70, 75, okay, there are some opinions like that. Good, I'm going to take that back and tell you what the majority of the estimations of modern day scholars are. And that is, yeah, I'll tell you what it is. It's 80.5 kilometers. And I, the reason I said this number is because all of the schools of thought agree on it. Now, they didn't, they didn't say kilometers. They talked about it in their own we call it metric or whatever values, whatever value they use at the, the, their time. So, for example, uh, some of them said it is the distance of what a person who is walking on foot reaches in two days and two nights. All right, that's the um, that's the uh, the the three schools of thought, the Shafi'i. Hanbali and Maliki, they said the distance of walking for two days and two nights. Except for the Hanafi school of thought, they said what is equivalent to um, walking for three days, which is equivalent to 120 kilometers. So between 80 and 120 kilometers. And you can follow the 80.5 kilometers. Now, the, these are the distances that they recommend. But really, I'll be honest with you, I go by what yani, the, the, Ibn Taymiyyah and the others talked about and, and they said, honestly, there's no evidence to say exactly what the distance should be. They said it depends on what your society considers a travel. So minimum 80.5 kilometers at least and beyond is a travel anyway. Anyway, you can go by that and that is, inshallah, valid. Okay, another question. What about the length that you stay there? The length of your stay? How long do you have to be on travel where you are allowed to join? So we already know 80.5 kilometers, you can join. How long is your stay over there? Well, there's a difference of opinion about this among the, the jurists. Big difference of opinion. But I'll help you guys out today, inshallah, and tell you the middle majority opinion, inshallah. The first one is that if you go on a travel and you know when you are going back home, you know when you are returning back home, then the jurists suggest only four days you can join and shorten your salat, not including the day you enter and not including the day you exit. So how many days? Four days is what the jurists recommend if you know when you're coming back. Four days. Beyond four days, you pray normal. Let's say, for example, you went to Malaysia. I'll keep using Malaysia. You want me to use another country? Huh? Turkey. You went to Turkey. And in Turkey, you spent... You, 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 you booked a ticket to return four days later. You join and shorten those four days. But let's say you went with your wife and your wife says, oh, I just want to visit you know, such and such a place a little bit more. And you say, darling, come on, it's going to cost us extra. She goes, it doesn't matter, it's good. We can come back and work for that money. It's, it's, it's worth it. You say, okay, kids, you want to stay? You stay in another three days. All right, you extend your ticket. So beyond that now, you would have to join, you have to pray normal. Okay? You would have to pray normal. That's what the majority of jurists said. If you don't know when you're coming back, like let's say you go on a business trip to Turkey, Turkey, and you thought you were going to stay for four days, and then happens to be that you have to stay longer than that, and you don't know when this work is going to end. Let's say you went to 
uh, do some business and the, 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 the people didn't arrive at the appointments, you didn't have a meeting, some people are left behind or some people were delayed and your four days turns into five days, into six days and you don't know when you're going to finish your meeting, then they say you're always on safari. You can keep joining and shortening, joining, even if you ended up being 20 days, 100 days, so long as you, you're not sure when you're returning. Then there is the one I go with, and that's the Ibn Taymiyyah one. He says, there is no evidence that limits the length, so long as no intention to stay and live there, whether you are more or less than four days. If you go and you don't have the intention to live or stay there, you're on a holiday and you go for 20 days. You're not going to stay there. You, you got your tickets, you're returning, right? Then it's all right. 20 days, you keep doing shortening and, and joining. You went there for 30 days, keep joining. Two, two months, four months, you know, like a tourist visa. They said it's all right. But if you go to start staying and living, for example, on a student visa or a work visa, you're going to stay you rent a house, you stay there, you sleep there, you go and come, you live like the rest of the people, you are no, no longer a, t a tourist, then they said you pray normal like the rest of the people. So the opinion I follow with this one, I'm not going to go with the majority this time, even though y you should, um, there's a reason I, so I've looked into them a little bit deeper. And really it is, it is that, what Ibn Taymiyyah says. So long as you haven't decided to live and stay, you don't have to have a permanent residence, you don't have to be a citizen, then you're on safar. Right? Anyway, the bottom line is that for the best rewards, go for four days and beyond that, just pray like the locals if you can. Mix and match if you like. And you're all okay, inshallah. Is that clear? Alright, beautiful. Just a few more points and then we're done. Um, so, when do you start joining and shortening is it when you get on the airplane is it when you get in the car is it as soon as you step out of your house is it when you've exited your suburb is it when you get to the airport or the train station or the docks if you're going on a ship when does your travel start or you, or you got to your camel or your horse if you're going on horse or camel or donkey or whatever it is when does it start well the jurists at least agree on this, that as soon as you are outside of your suburb, in the olden days they call it sur, so your town, if it's got, usually towns used to have a big wall around them that made it your town, another town, another town, that's how they used to have it. And in today's modern way, it's what society, what we're, depending on which country you live in, here in, in Australia, we consider ourselves our home suburbs. Because we ask each other, you can see, which, which part of Melbourne are you from? You say, oh, from the northern suburbs or the eastern suburbs. And then you say, which suburb? Oh, you're a Coburg boy, or you're a Preston boy, or you're a Brody boy. <laughs> you remember that, brother, Brody boy back in the 80s? Don't worry, the youngsters here don't know it. Brody boys. They made trouble. <laughs> Libos and Turks. <laughs> we were... <laughs> best, best days, yeah. No, not best days, but Allah forgive them. So the... It doesn't matter. So that's your suburb. As soon as you're out of it with the intention of travel and your town is behind you and you're heading towards your destination, you're heading towards the airport or the train station, wherever you're going on travel, you are on travel. So from outside your suburb onwards, you can start joining and shortening. So for example, when you get to the airport, go to the prayer room there, join your Maghrib and Aisha or join your Dhuhr and Aisha, even if you haven't gotten onto the airplane. Okay? All right, beautiful. So, what else have we got? We've got, okay, here is a very good one. There is one more thing. There are people who have a regular, ongoing travel every day or every two days or fortnightly to work. Let's say rural, rural work. Let's say you're a uh, for example, you know, you, you got, you're a doctor or, or, or you're um, something else where you, you're a farmer or something where you, you need to actually go and work in a rural area or you're an engineer or you're working in the um, agricultural or, or um, any other type of business. You, you need to travel to rural areas and those rural areas will be about 
you know, 80, 100 kilometers away from your, from your town. But you have to go there every day or every fun, regularly. So you're on travel. Do you join and shorten every single day or every time you go there? The answer is no. The answer is this, and the scholars have been, you can look this up. There's, Islam Q&A has talked about it. There's another one called Islam Online. There is also Islam Web. A lot of them are in Arabic. You've got several references for this. So this is a modern question. So what happens here is, the moment you leave your town, until you reach your place of work, during that time, you're allowed to join your salat and shorten them. But when you reach the place of work, you pray normal because it's a regular everyday thing. Otherwise, your salat is lost. Everybody understood? So from here to, say, 200 kilometers. From here, let's say I'm going to Shepparton or Albury, or, which is four hours. And I, on that way, Zuhr time comes, Asr time comes, and I'm going to miss out. You can join and shorten them, inshallah. But once I reach my place of destination, I pray normal. Until, and then when I come back home, I can join on the way too. All right? Everyone good on that? Have I left anything out? Um, I'd like to add something that would help you as well, just to show you how Allah makes our worship easy. You know, if you're going to travel, wudu can, can be a bit of a hassle, isn't it? Wudu can be a bit of a hassle. So what you can do is um, make wudu at home, normal, and wear your socks. And that way, keep your socks on. On travel, you're allowed to have your socks on for three days and three nights. And you don't have to take them off to make wudu. You can just wipe over them. But who's going to stay like that? You're going to have a shower, aren't you, if you get somewhere. But let's say you can't. You can keep your socks on and just wipe over them to make life easy on you. You can even have boots that go above the ankle and they're reasonably tight on your legs. You don't have to take your boots off either, so long as they're over the ankle. Even if you have your boots on with your socks and your socks are over the ankle, you can wipe over the boots. That's fine. You don't have to take them off. So long as you've already made wudu first and then you wore them. Understood? That's something to help you. Sometimes sisters, they wear their hijab. They're on travel and hijab is on tight. It's a hassle to always take it off and make wudu. You can wipe over the hijab, just wipe over it. Or if a man is wearing a turban, let's say something with turbans or khimar, that thing that goes down like that, you can also wipe over it. Because many hadiths, many authentic hadiths, the Prophet ﷺ wiped over his turban, he wiped over his amama, amama is like a turban or, or a hat, he wiped over his khimar, khimar is scarf that women wear and men put it on. So, these are two things that you can do, inshallah. Now, a lot of people ask me, socks, sir, socks, socks. Some students say socks. Are we allowed to wipe over the socks? Some people say you can only wipe over the leather socks, the, the khuf. So there's khuf and there's jawrab. Khuf is leather and jawrab <coughs> is just socks made out of any other material. The only condition, the scholars said, is that it should be thick. Don't worry about how thick and this thick and that thick. Thick. Even if it has a tiny hole in it, it's fine. Now, the, the evidence for the leather socks is ampent. Rasul himself wiped over his leather socks. The companions saw him wiping over them. He told his companions, wipe over your, your khimar and your khuf, your leather socks. But with the normal socks made out of cotton or whatever, or wool, we don't have evidence from the Prophet ﷺ himself doing it. And, and there is a hadith from Imam Tirmidhi, which he says is authentic, but the majority of hadith scholars, they said it's not authentic. It's weak. So we don't have authentic evidence from the Prophet ﷺ himself wiping over socks made out of other than leather material. But guess where we do have the evidence? We have the evidence from his companions. Like we're talking about big companions, Ibn Abbas, Ibn Mas'ud, Ali radiallahu anhu. And they were all around the Prophet We have at least 14 authentic accounts that have reached us today, 14 different companions who wiped over socks made out of non-leather and nobody objected to them. So, 
you can wipe over the sock. And this is the mercy of Allah and his compassion upon us. That's all the talking I'm going to do about joining and shortening. And now, insha'Allah, to you guys. Brother Ibrahim, first. No, 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 you can pray at home. Even if there's no wind or, or rain, you can still pray at home. That's another topic, isn't it? We'll make another lesson about that. Now, if there's heavy rain and heavy winds, we said you can join your salat, but not shorten them. So, if you come to the masjid, the imam can join the salat. Or you can pray behind the imam, let's say dhuhr, and when they leave, you can also pray the asr. You can have the intention okay, at the masjid. You can do that. If you're at home, the, the, the point of the rain and the winds is really the point is that so that you don't keep coming to the masjid because of the hardship. So you come to the masjid, you can join. That's, that's why it's, it's recommended. But you can, do it at, you can do it at home. But I would tell you that, that some scholars were asked about this. They said, look, the purpose of rain and winds, why you're allowed to join them, is so that you don't get out of your house all the time. So, jurists have spoken about praying at home and joining them. They said, due to the sunnah, you can, but it is recommended not to. So if you're at home and you're all comfortable and peaceful and you've got your wood fire or you got your other here, you got gas and everything got hot water why join your salat don't join it because the purpose of joining the salat is because of the hardships now the hardships not there some people don't even know it's raining outside because how comfortable our homes are isn't that correct but when you have heavy rain and heavy winds here in australia we don't have a problem but in a lot of other countries it is a problem it causes severe cold on people. So some of them, they don't want to keep making wudu because it's cold. It's severe cold. Like in some places like, uh, uh, where is it? Norway, the Netherlands, in Iceland, uh, Greenland, uh, some parts of Russia up above, some down. So they're very cold areas. And Islam has given them a way to make their life easier with worship as well. So even if they're at home, they're not going to be like you and me here in Australia. See, the thing is, when we talk about Sharia, you've got to understand that our deen takes into account every person's different circumstances, their place, their geography, their environment, their climate. So when I talk, I'm talking in general. But for us here in Australia, you know, we, we always tend to think about ourselves here, and that's, that's obviously logical. But Sharia talks about everybody. In all circumstances so the answer to that is if you're at home here in Australia and you're comfortable don't join your salat no because there is no hardship on you but if you're gonna to come to the masjid then join your salat so they you don't know it go and come I think brother over here had a question Still, still, the minimum that we go by is the majority of jurists. The minimum is 80.5 kilometers. Like even the, uh, I, don't, I can't go into that, then I'm going to give a fatwa. So the, we refer back to the scholars, modern scholars today. If not all, majority of the scholars today, any scholars, big scholars. We're talking about, for example, the permanent scholars committee that people take from the Saudi ones for example or the ones in Morocco or the ones in the European Council of Scholars or any or in America or uh, you know in in in, in um, uh, also in um, there are Mauritania I think and there are any Council of Scholars will tell you that 80.5 kilometers is the agreed-upon opinion among all the jurists no, no, they differ. They differ on the four days. There's a big difference of opinion. We went through that. Yeah. Yeah. Tadal Habib. Oh, I see. I get the question now. So the young man is asking if you come to the masjid and the Imam is praying Asr and you still have not prayed, 
ظهر what do you do the answer is you can do two things you can join them and your intention is ظهر or you can join them and your intention is عصر and then pray ظهر see like this he's praying عصر I go hmm should I intend that I'm praying ظهر with them or should I intend عصر with them I can say I intend ظهر alright I'll pray with them I finish after I pray my عصر or I can say you know what I'm going to intend عصر and then after that I'll pray ظهر yeah you can do either one inshallah but I'm going to advise you the better one is to go in and say I intend ظهر with them because to keep it in order you get it? Mm, inshallah ah uh, yes uh, it's a good question so is it 80.5 kilometers from your town or city or is it from your actual house? to be on the safe side أخي, and get us out of the difference of opinion go with the suburb because that's when the joining and shortening becomes permissible among the majority of scholars so therefore count 80 kilometers from from reservoir so yeah, it's you know what it's approximately I'll tell you how much it is I'll tell you how much the town area would be in those days and, and what it's estimated today five kilometers so count from five kilometers onwards you're on safar from your home five kilometers then from there on you're on safar that's the jurist old way of 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 the how they made the value how they counted the um the value and today it's equivalent to five kilometers from your residence from your house yes Habib. straight straight line yeah if I, if I rotate around, I haven't left. <laughs> That's a tricky one. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. That is very true. That is true. Yeah, you've got to be careful. So estimate. Estimate. Estimate to the best of your ability that you would love to leave Allah, meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on. So look, Islam does leave room for estimation of your own ishtihad. You make your own consensus. Your own um, educational deduction. So there is some room like this. Is it really or is it not? Mm, I don't feel it is. I'm going to add another 10 kilometers here. So now it's you and Allah. Yeah. Abu Ayman, Abu Ayman, the question that you're asking me here is if I'm in a park and a dog comes and jumps on my back while I'm doing salat, is my salat still valid or do I cut it off? Yeah? Okay. This is huge. Huge among the scholars. If you want to know what I... Okay, so the, the school of thought, which is the Maliki school of thought, they have, as far as I'm concerned, subhanAllah, the strongest evidence and argument that the dog's saliva is not najas. Would you believe that? Not Najas. The Maliki. Only the Maliki. Okay? And some scholars consider the whole dog Najas, but that's weak. No evidence. The majority, they believe the saliva of the dog is Najas, but not the body. You understand that part? Okay, so the, the correct opinion, the, the, they all agree majority agree that the dog's body is not impure it's okay the dog's body 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 as for the saliva the drool you know the dog has lots of saliva this one is difference of opinion only the Maliki school of thought have really good evidence and argument which I have adopted now I, I, I believe now before not but that's just me you don't have to follow this okay that the dog saliva is not impure one of the evidence is that the dogs at the time of the Prophet وسلم, used to enter the Medina Masjid the mosque of the Prophet وسلم, they used to come in and out in and out and the Muslims the poor ones that were inside 
that were called Ahlul Sufa. Long story. They used, the Prophet gave them a place in the masjid right at the back. They used to feed the dogs. And they were inside the masjid. So dogs would come in, they'd come out. And there was no report of, of them sprinkling water or cleaning the floor after the dogs come in and out in between salats. In between salats. So dhuhr, then there's no salat. Dogs come in and out of the masjid. They would come and pray. No one asked how many dogs came in, did the dog drool. So long as they cannot see najasa on the ground or smell it, it was fine. So, this is just one evidence. There's many other evidences the Malikis use. So my answer to you, brother, if I was praying and the dog jumped on me and I was praying, I mean, I'd get a little bit shocked because I don't know if the dog's going to bite me or something. But if it, other than that, purity, I would continue praying, inshallah. But don't follow me because I have, you have to listen to me a lot to be convinced. Follow majority. Let's go majority. Okay? Majority jurists say that the dog's saliva is najas, impure. So if it comes on your clothes, if you are able to take off your jacket, stay in salat. If you are not able, stop your salat, go and clean it with water. Once, water, once. How many times? Once. You sure once or seven times? No, no, no. Once or seven times. So it comes on my jacket, I put under the tap. How many times? <laughs> A lot of people say that. It's only once. That's it, just once. No, no, no. The sand, no, no need. Oh, you can do it just for safety. Habibi, look, let me tell you something. We're going to talk about this in another class. What is considered impure on the floor for salat? Whatever you can see or smell. That's it. If you cannot see the najasa, you cannot smell the najasa, there is no najasa. Same with your clothes. Cannot see it, cannot smell it. Yeah? Okay. So that's dealt with, inshallah. Now, you know the seven... You know the seven cleansing? You know, you've got to clean dog saliva seven times. Don't worry, it's just a child. You know the seven times cleaning? So, seven times cleaning, where did that come from? Our parents? <laughs> so, tell me, tell me, how do you, what do you mean by, what do you, what do you guys understand about cleaning seven times about the dog? What is it? In Indonesia... What do you clean? Like your jacket, for example? Like, let's say the dog licked my pants. What do I do with the pants? Wash? Seven times? And then, so I wash six times and seven times with sand. My pants. That's what they do. Okay. Your hands, for example. Let's say the dog licks your hands. What do you do with your hands? I go wash six times and one with the Okay, one with the sand and six times with water. Over, over, six times. Okay. So, let me explain something. This is a misunderstanding. Misunderstanding of the hadith. I will clarify now, inshallah. Okay, guys. Now I shall reveal it to you. <laughs> so, the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ goes exactly like this. If the dog drooled in the utensil that you drink or eat in. Al-wi'a means the utensil you drink and eat in. Prophet says, فَغْسِلُوهُ Wash it in water, بالماء then I might have missed a letter or a word there, but the utensil, the plate or the cup I drink in or the plate I eat in, first I put soil. Then six times I wash again and again, six times. First time soil, six times Wash again and again. So now we understand it's not everything. It's only in the stuff you eat and drink in. The reason is because the dog's saliva 
is harmful to our digestive system. That is why you have to clean it until all the bacteria that our digestive system cannot break down, that our body, our immune system, the body that protects us, the stuff inside immunity cannot fight. That's the dog saliva. We have to cleanse it. That's what it means. Everybody understood that part? So now, if a dog licks my hand, I just wash with water, normal, like anything else. If it licks my pants, I just get some water and, and just sprinkle a bit and wash. That's it. Shock. Oh, if you're shocked and you, you, you shrieked, okay, like that, when you're praying, it's okay, you can continue salat, unless you speak. If you speak, say, what are you doing, dog? Get away, dog. Or you swear, astaghfirullah, or something like that, you stop your salat, repeat again. Okay, Abu Ayman? Amin wa iyyakum. Last, last few questions. I think we had. Yalla, tfaddal akhi. I think it was someone. Okay, the brother is asking with Aisha and Maghrib, if I want to join them, do I wait until Aisha to pray? No, no, brother. You can do either way. There is jama taqdim and jama ta'khir. Early joining, later joining. Early joining is when Maghrib and Aisha at Maghrib time. Later joining Maghrib and Aisha at Aisha time. You can do either one. Either one, inshallah. If you want to ask me which one is better, before or later, for Maghrib and Aisha only, Rasul advised some of his companions, women, he was talking to a woman about something, and he said, and better if you can delay. Do your Maghrib with Aisha. Because pray, praying at night is better. That's all. But that's just for Maghrib and Aisha. Okay, that's more detail. Yani. Barakallahu feek. May Allah reward you. Yes. Ah, if you're going to join Maghrib with Aisha, in Aisha time, is there a cut-off time? We go back to our early lesson. I think it was number three or four. We said, when does Aisha end? So now you pray Maghrib on Aisha terms. On Aisha's terms. When Aisha ends, Maghrib ends with it. So Aisha, if I'm joining Maghrib and Aisha, Aisha time, the correct opinion, <laughs> we always talk about opinions, subhanAllah. There's a reason for it. The correct opinion, and Allah knows best, of the scholars is that Aisha goes all the way till Fajr. All right? And there's weak evidence, ambiguous evidence, that the Aisha ends at midnight or halfway through the night. But it's not strong evidence. The safest thing to do is what? Pray before half the night, inshallah, with Maghrib. Don't go and buy dogs now and have them as pets just because of that topic, yeah? Brother is asking, with the question about traveling and coming back home on a regular basis. Brother is saying, I do travel a bit regularly. Now, do you, is, it, is this schedule known to you? Uh -huh, so you're not sure. You might end up Bendigo. Another time you might end up Torquay. Other, a week in advance. Are there times where you end up not traveling? Okay. In your case, you are on travel so long as you're on travel. You don't follow the rule I told you. Because, you know why? Because you don't have a regular known schedule. So we're talking about the known ones. A regular known schedule. You go there, you come back. You go there, you come back. Yours, we don't know. Maybe Bendigo. Next. If it's inconsistent, if it's inconsistent... You always pray on travel, normal. If it was consistent and known to you, then you follow the other rule. When you get there, pray normal. If it's consistent and it's known. Let's say, for example, from now to the next six months, you've got an entire calendar, and you know exactly you're going to go from here to there. Then that regular consistency means that you just pray travel on the way. The other one, where it's inconsistent, you know, you like you knowing only a week before, then that's fine. You pray on travel. Go ahead, use the concession. Lucky you. 
يعني if you believe in luck fortune fortunate are you <laughs> these are muslim things we understand all right <clears throat> you know the reason i told you before don't go buy a dog and, and have a dog as a pet just some people were looking it's not that we don't like dogs we like dogs there's nothing in fact a woman entered paradise because she fed a dog among other things but rasul sallallahu alaihi wasallam just told us that the angels don't enter don't enter a house where there is a dog or images of faces hung up it's like if you if you walked into a house and there's a bad smell in there you just want to walk out and the angels don't like entering a house where there is a dog or images and that um you can own a dog for reasons such as uh, guard dog farming herd dog you know sheep dog um guide dog um uh, some other subhanallah the other day I was watching a um documentary about a woman who who has this rare condition where she just faints she loses consciousness abruptly she never knows she could be going down the stairs she could be crossing the road and this dog subhanallah was able to sense sense at least 5 minutes or so before she had an attack and he just sit next to her and bark in a strange way and now this dog is medically prescribed subhanallah to help these types of people with disability and subhanallah and you know islam jumps on it says of course you can have that kind of dog so if there is a reason why you need a dog you can otherwise we're not islam muslim shouldn't own dogs as pets inside their houses you know because of the dirtiness of it and the yeah the incompatible um saliva and everything with with humans jazakallah khair subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika ashhadu an la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilaykum assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah